Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can also save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support Rebel News without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, wherein we look back at some of the very best commentaries from your favorite Rebels from this past week. I'm your host, who is definitely, absolutely, unequivocally not David Menzies. I'm Sheila Gunnery, and I'm filling in for my dear friend David as he takes some well-deserved time away from the show for the next couple of weeks. Calgary's mayor declared a climate emergency and then hop the first flight to Houston to talk to oil executives about how to phase out oil. There's a lot going on in that sentence, I realize. And that's why I'm calling in an expert. Rebel News Calgary reporter Adam Sos, who has been on the story of the climate emergency in Calgary from the very beginning. Then, what do you do when a human rights museum violates your human rights? Well, first, naturally, you do a story on it. But then you start asking questions, which is exactly what Calgary-based reporter Sidney Fizard did when the Human Rights Museum in Winnipeg vax carded him and then banned him. You won't believe the response Sid got to his media inquiries. Then letters, letters, letters. Of course, we get your letters all day and all night. So many letters. I have your letters on my story about how the Public Health Agency of Canada is looking for a contractor to spy on your cell phone data. Those are your rebels. Let's round them up. Calgary Mayor Gioti Gondek has long known that Canadian oil and energy are the most ethical sources of energy in the world. We have footage of her saying as much herself. I support Canada's oil and gas sector. Why? Because Canada's oil and gas firms have repeatedly demonstrated leadership on a global stage, whether through innovations in technology that minimize impact to the environment or unmatched standards in health and safety practices. That's not empty rhetoric. It's rooted in research and review. So what changed? Has Gioti suddenly had a coming to Greta moment? How dare you? Or is she just playing the exact same game as celebrities like Leonardo DiCaprio and Jane Fonda? If Gioti Gondek really believed that there was a climate emergency, as she and city councillors have decreed, you think she would be doing everything to reduce her carbon impact, wouldn't she? 
she certainly wouldn't fly off to the World Petroleum Congress in Texas to espouse new uh, oil technologies. There's no way she'd do that, except she did. She hopped on a jet, a fossil fuel power jet, and went down to Texas to meet with these world leaders. Now, she said that the conference was all about future technologies and carbon reduction, but in case you don't know, those are buzzwords that these oil companies use because they want to keep drilling, but they don't want to be in trouble with climate activists. There's a lot of things to accomplish in Houston. There are many conversations to have with mayors of other urban centers who have uh, declared climate emergencies. There's a great opportunity to partner with the private sector and talk about their goals on emissions reduction. My favorite part about fighting climate change is all the long flights and, of course, the luxury travel to unnecessary conferences, be it the World Economic Forum meetings or the United Nations Climate Change Conferences. You know, there's really not a transcontinental flight that an environmentalist will turn down. And Calgary's green, brand new mayor is no exception to that rule. After declaring a climate emergency, she has traveled to Texas, to the World Petroleum Congress meetings. Joining me now to discuss the hypocrisy of Gondek's apparent heresy against the climate cult is Rebel News reporter Adam Sos. Adam, has Gondek justified her trip to Houston, or are we just supposed to pretend like it didn't happen, like all the other environmentalists' transcontinental travel? Yeah, the, the the general justification that's always given and is being given in this case was that the focus of this Petroleum Congress was low carbon technology and future technologies, um, which for you and I and anyone in the industry knows that that's what oil companies say when they don't want to get in trouble with eco-activists, but they want to keep drilling for oil and making their money. Um, no doubt there is an effort. In fact, Canadian oil is among the sort of foremost in the leaders of reducing their imprint um, while still extracting resources and creating wealth for the entire world. But beyond that justification of these, these petty talking points, there's not much going on. And I just want to be the first person to say, I know people out there are going to say that it, it, it's the old argument, climate hypocrisy. Um, like, I, like I've said in videos, I'm more than well aware that a rich person can be concerned about poverty. I'm more than well aware that someone can be very well fed and be concerned about world hunger. But but there's just a special level of hypocrisy here where what they're doing is on such a grand scale contributing to the problem that they're professing and declaring climate emergencies. Um, in a video that'll be coming out this week, it, we're, we're seeing like Leonardo DiCaprio who has all these giant uh, palaces and rents these mega yachts, Jane Fonda doing helicopter rides over the oil sands. Um, what do they think all these things are fueled by? Um, we thank them for contributing to Canadian energy because frankly that's what's fueling half of this stuff. Um, but the fact that they're doing those things while criticizing us, look at the private jets at the at the COP summit in, in Europe. Uh, it's just endless Hypocrisy. One of the people that comes to mind, and it's usually when we're talking about COVID, but um, is Joe Vipon, Dr. Joe Vipon. He posted on Twitter when he went over that it was important that he be there in person. Meanwhile, over COVID-19, they're telling us we don't really need to gather as a congregation for church because it, it can be done via Zoom. Uh, Meanwhile, they can fly over there because they religiously have to be there in person uh, for the sacrament of the environmental conferences. Oh, what a great way to put it. Um, yeah, their church is important, so is mine. And their church is, you know, the Climate Change Conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very strange, you know. I was talking actually to Michelle Sterling this morning, and she brought up Joe Vipond and his mm -hmm. hypocrisy. But as you rightly point out, it really, I, I like traveling. I like mm -hmm. fossil fuel, so I'm perfectly okay with that. 
for these large environmentalists, like I guess Jody Gondek and Justin mm-hmm. Trudeau, they are telling the rest of us to have a smaller environmental footprint, to travel less, to drive smaller cars or electric cars. Good luck getting those to work in this weather, by the way. But they never lead by example. This is easily a conference that could have been a Zoom call. It probably could have been an email if you ask me. But she saw fit to make this her first international trip Mm -hmm. as the Calgary mayor. And for me, when I read her reasons for being there, she says, you know, we're in pursuit of net zero or whatever their unrealistic goal is. For me, I look at this and I think this is a scarecrow woman. If you wanted to scare away oil patch investment, if you wanted to make sure that those downtown office towers in Calgary remain empty, you would send Geody Gondek to Texas to say we're going net zero. You know what? Like, I actually, this is weird, and this is going to be perhaps me being too gracious towards Gioti Gondek. Probably. (laughs) Things have become so backwards that I think in sort of a twisted way, um, it's just on vogue to say these things right now. So having someone like Gioti saying like there's a climate emergency and we need to kill fossil fuels i think in some sick twisted modern liberal world will lure in some oil companies because they want to operate under that veneer of ultra progressive environmentalism their their behaviors aren't going to change but it's very much on vogue to be part of that eco movement we see these oil companies making all these commercials about how they're all for the environment and like largely i would say that compared to uh opec oil or some other energies uh turbines killing birds left right and center they are pretty ethical but but there is almost this underlying facade of uh, there's the, like GOT's bumping elbows with these people this oil commerce saying we're, we're we're super ecological and super progressive um so i think on some sort of weird bizarro world level she's she she thinks she's filling the downtown core with companies by talking on these talking points the problem is is how have we come to a point in our world where the most ethical oil in the world oil that we should be if we wanted to help the environment canada would be doubling production and sending it everywhere else so places didn't have to use coal power from china and opec oil from the middle east we would be exporting our ethical oil to the world and that would be the biggest contribution we could make to helping end climate catastrophes climate emergencies but instead we've adopted this narrative pushed by uh, hollywood celebrities and tides foundation and yada 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 we've adopted this this narrative that Sand is bad, so we need to do a bit of a mea culpa. We need to tuck our tail between our legs and say we're very sorry and we, we're we really environmentalists. We're very, very much environmentalists. And then we're allowed to partake in the natural resources in our province here. On some sort of sick level, I think that that's what's happening because councillors have said, well, there's not really an emergency, but it's very much to draw in businesses that were employing these sort of rhetorical devices. My question is, why is the system like that? Why have we accepted it? Because it's clearly not based in reality or science. Yeah, you know, it it is funny that there's all those Hollywood celebrities who will just completely ignore Bakersfield (laughs) to to, uh, label Canadian oil and gas as bad. But it is an interesting strategy that it seems as though Geody Gondek is I don't know, taking on the, um, what's the right word? 
I guess it's hoping that the chickens will vote for Colonel Sanders. Is that yeah. I think that's kind of her her strategy there for filling back up the downtown core. Now, that's the politicians talking and the fancy people talking. Mm-hmm. But you actually did something that the mainstream media generally doesn't do. And that's you went out to the streets to talk to the normals of Calgary on this issue. So what what was the overall feel from the citizens of Calgary when you know when they were polled unscientifically by you on this issue? Well, generally, when we're talking to people, um, th- there was backlash. And I mean, Jyoti Gondek is not popular in Calgary right now on numerous fronts, um, going after our industries first and foremost. But uh, there's also the story where she's taken $100,000 out of city municipal funds in order to fund a, a personal sort of vendetta uh, lawsuit against Bill 21 in Quebec, which actually uh, some good news, and we'll talk about this uh, soon, is the, is the fact that they, they've sort of rescinded that urgent pull and it's actually going to be discussed. So those funds, it's a bit of a win, the fact that we've called that out and that's been rescinded. But GOT is not popular in Calgary right now. She's going after our industries. Um, she's taking funds for sort of personal vendettas. And then First and foremost, probably the fact that she's she's talked about uh, unvaccinated uh, Calgarians and saying that it's uh, bonkers that they get to participate in society. Um, so so this this these games that she's playing to signal and uh, nod her head to her crowd um, are not garnering any favor, and they're certainly not compassionate or reasonable. Um, it remains to be seen if people will actually be drawn back to uh, Calgary and maybe there's some sort of long play where a bunch of businesses come home under this guise of eco virtue signaling. But I think as far as the the folks on the streets um, and your average Calgarian, um, they're, they're, the sentiment has soured. It'll be interesting to see sort of approval ratings and stuff, but there's been throughout Nenshi's entire term, there, there was a few sort of incidents where people were outraged broadly. Um, now we have in the short term that Jyoti has been mayor, basically three incidents that have people uh, outraged and upset uh, with her conduct as mayor. So um, barring some significant change, I'm hopeful she seems to be here for a little while anyways. Um, I'm hopeful she realizes that this path she's going down, which is an extremist path on almost all of these fronts, um, is not sustainable and that's not what Calgarians voted for. Um, and hopefully she uh, redresses or redirects her energies towards helping Calgarians instead of her own uh, virtue signaling and political battles. Now, you have given Calgarians a chance to have their voices heard on this issue. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we launched the NoClimateEmergency.com campaign. Uh, by extension of this campaign, um, we, we've gotten the information out there, let people know uh, the simple fact that there is no climate emergency in Calgary is as plain to see. And we also had the opportunity to get the no climate emergency billboard truck out there, getting this message across, highlighting the hypocrisy of these celebrities, child actors, etc. Um, but ultimately, the intention behind no climate emergency is for people to sign our petition. We've already had 15,000 people sign the petition um, saying that there is no climate emergency in Calgary. Enough is enough with this rhetoric. Uh, at noclimateemergency.com, you can also click our one-click politics button which allows you to send an email directly to GOT and you can sort of fill in the form uh, and get a message across and those are really impactful because they they look at each and every one of those um, and then it really gets the message across that this is not what we voted for and that we support Canadian energy and I think that's what this ultimately boils down to this is an attack 
from the mayor of Calgary on the industry that built this city. Calgary is a great city, largely because of energy sectors. Lots of the luxuries, the cultural things that we get to enjoy in Calgary uh, donation, come from donations from major oil companies. Uh, the wealth in this city um, that we enjoy comes from this industry. And for the mayor of the city to be attacking it is very upsetting. Um, so this is an opportunity to go to noclimateemergency.com, sign that petition, say that there is no climate emergency, but first and foremost, that you support Canadian energy sectors. You know, Adam, I want to thank you so much for working so hard to give people a chance to remind their own mayor that she's the mayor of Houston North, not Toronto West. Um, and uh, I want to thank you for your time. And uh, you know what? Uh, just keep fighting for freedom out there. Will do. Thanks, Sheila. What are human rights? Well, unfortunately, that depends on who you ask. Whether it's your neighbor, your employer, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, or the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Each of them has their own definition, but what's shared amongst all of them is an understanding that we're supposed to treat people fairly and with dignity. As the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights would say, quote, All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and in rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. At no point do they say you need a QR code to be considered human. But if you went to the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, you might think otherwise, as you might have seen in our recent video. The public health order states that it must be open. The visitors must be double vaccinated. There are so many people standing outside trying to get in. Then why are you guys protecting the It's this is the only museum in North America of human rights. The fourth floor of this building is a very huge significance to exactly why we're here. That's right, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights has begun to discriminate against their own clientele, all over whether or not they have the state-sponsored QR code meant to determine whether or not you've been fully vaccinated. This is something that I experienced while I was there as well. But what makes this all even more surreal is the fact that Manitoba has already ended their state of emergency. Although, thanks to their top bureaucrat, Brent Rusin, he's issued a new set of public health orders that are meant to go on seemingly forever. Public Health has approved uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, game on August 5th to uh, take place with 100% capacity to fully vaccinated fans. He goes on to say, the threat to public health cannot be prevented, reduced, or eliminated without taking special measures. The special circumstances around being able to go to a movie or a bomber game if you're double vaxxed are extra privileges. And just like that, these so-called extra privileges have now gone from being a temporary measure to a permanent one. So when I went to the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, which is in Winnipeg, Manitoba, I wanted to know about their reaction to these newfound orders. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to speak with a representative while I was there. What's this, sir? This is the media representative? Yeah. Okay. Elaine French Henry. Yeah. And this is just a general uh, mm -hmm. email box and hotline. My Though I did reach out by email, as you might have heard in our last video, I actually got a response. I got a proper response. They answered all of my questions, even if they were interesting, to say the least. So to start, I wanted to go back to the very beginning and find out what the motive was behind the Canadian Museum for Human Rights and the late Israel Asper, who pioneered this museum. Well, this is what he had to say. When 
to Prime Minister Trudeau and said, look, uh, your magnum opus is the Canadian Charter of Rights, and a national institution should be launched to teach its values and the precepts of it. So it was envisioned as a national institution meant to teach the values and the precepts of the Canadian Charter of Rights. Well, there you have it. But I want to know if the current regulations that are being imposed in relation to the QR codes and whether or not you have the right color QR code means that you may or may not be allowed to enter. I wanted to know if that was in line with the vision that Israel Asper had for the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. The museum's adherence to government regulations designed to combat the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic does not conflict with Israel Asper's vision for human rights education. I gotta be honest, she actually makes me feel a little silly for asking the question because of course, they're an educational platform. They're not an advocacy group. In other words, they don't need to practice what they preach, which I think is unfortunate because there's a certain gravitas that comes with their lack of stance on such matters that many would argue pertain to human rights. Not only did Sid cover the story of somebody else being discriminated against by the Human Rights Museum, Sid himself was discriminated against by the Human Rights Museum. But instead of that just being the end of the story, Sid also went looking for answers. And through answers, accountability. Sid asked 11 questions of the Human Rights Museum, and he got 11 answers. Many, in my opinion, were wholly unsatisfactory. In fact, many of the answers given to Sid amounted to excuses that some of the greatest human rights abusers of our time have used, that they were just following the law. Sid joins me now. Sid, what was the most shocking thing for you that came back in those answers from the Human Rights Museum? Honestly, I think it was the totality of it. Like I expected there might be some answers that were a little below par, but it was the whole email was just riddled with, we're following orders, we're following orders. And the amount of answers I got, well, that depends on what you define an answer as being. So, Yeah, I, I mean, one of them was, well, we're just complying with the law, which is exactly what so many, and I hate to compare COVID to the Holocaust, but that is literally an example that was given by people who worked in concentration camps, that we were just following the law. And I, I suppose the whole point of human rights is that sometimes human rights abusers will pass laws that are legal, but they aren't just. And it is incumbent on people who are human rights activists, as they tell me they are at the Human Rights Museum, to object to these laws. But the Human Rights Museum has not objected once. They've never expressed dismay at what the Manitoba government is doing. And they are actively enforcing the system here. What was some of the feedback that you've heard from the public on your story? For me, it's one of the most emailed stories I got that week. Back to me, yeah. people commenting on it. What was the feedback for you? Uh, just shock, mostly. Just people coming to the realization that, yeah, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights is the one that's, in fact, doing this. And they are just following orders. I asked them very specifically, like, did they independently seek uh, a medical expert to find out if they had the best COVID policy that they could make? And they haven't done any research. All they were told was that the Manitoba government said you have to do this, and now they're doing it. No questions asked. Now, uh, for people who haven't seen your original video, when you went to the museum and they said you couldn't come in, when you tried to go in, did they 
ask you why you were unvaccinated. For example, this is a human rights museum where um, whole sections of it are dedicated to religious freedom and what happens when religious freedom isn't um, respected or what happens to a whole entire religious and cultural group when they are treated as disease vectors. I guess my question is, they never they never really asked you why you were unvaccinated. It could be for religious reason. It's none of my business. It's nobody else's. But they never even got that far with you, did they? Uh, yeah, no, not exactly. And it, it's kind of a shame. And even on their COVID-19 policy on their website, it, it doesn't list the fact that there are vaccine exemptions, even though it will tell you that there are mask exemptions. And I think it's funny because even still, they have yet to update their policy to show this. So they're being very reluctant in terms of the exceptions that are being made because it's they're really just pushing the, what do you call it, the party narrative of our government ruling class. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the um, responses you got back from Isha Khan, um, you asked her, there are government orders in place requiring the Human Rights Museum to only accept those who have been fully vaccinated as deemed by the province of Al of Manitoba, however, in a story on the human rights website called Us Versus Them, The Process of Othering, the museum highlights that people are different. We can use our differences as an opportunity to share and learn. Um, and when we highlight differences between groups of people to increase suspicion of them, to insult them or to exclude them, we are going down a path known as othering. This is on their own website. And yeah. they have no idea that they are doing this to people at the door every day. Yeah. Anyone, even with a single eye, can see that that's exactly what they were doing. But they, they again, they fall behind this veil of, we're just following the rules. Sorry, we're just following the rules. And not even an apology. Uh, just, we're following the rules. Yeah. I mean, their answer to that, when you said, is it a concern that the Human Rights Museum is now othering? They said, we are following laws and guidelines intended to protect the general public during a deadly pandemic. We could swap out a few uh, words here, and that could apply to any great human rights abuser of the 20th century. And um, this is a place where it should be a place where all Canadians can go to learn about civil liberties, to learn about human rights. And yet they are one of the greatest violators of it in Manitoba right now. And it's especially funny because this is a crown corporation, which means that mm -hmm. we're we're looking for this to be in existence, and they don't make much money, uh, as I've seen on uh, uh, looking up some of the revenue. So it really is you and me paying for it, and you and me are now not allowed to go. You know, and that is also an, another great point to make because it's not just the Human Rights Museum. It, the discrimination is happening to people who pay for public infrastructure all over the place. We've got unvaccinated people, or not just unvaccinated people, but people who are unwilling to participate in a vaccine passport system. So these may be people who are vaccinated, but who also say, I'm not going to be part of a system of segregation, who are being denied access to local recreation centers, local swimming pools, the things that their tax dollars are building in their community, they can't even access them because they're part of the unclean class. Um, and that is a, a story that is sort of within this one story about the Human Rights Museum, because that's happening not just at the museum, it's happening everywhere across the country. And as someone who, you know, documented their own segregation um, for the world to see, um, 
I guess, what is it like as a young guy in Calgary trying to live your life while being sort of outside that system? Well, it's kind of surreal. Um, like, uh, my story being in Calgary is because I came from Toronto and on the way is when I went to the Human Rights Museum. Uh, and it's quite fascinating that as I went through the provinces, there was restrictions in this province, restrictions in that province, and then I got to Alberta and it was a little more free, and then restrictions came here as well. Um, so it is kind of doom and gloom in both areas, but uh, it is funny that I went to the Human Rights Museum and it was straight to the chase discrimination, and then I came here, and another story that you're familiar with, Without Papers, I went into that restaurant when they were still serving people and not asking for the vaccine passport, and it truly felt like normal life. It felt like before 2019, I was just going into a place to eat food at a restaurant. And it, that, that contrast, it's still prominent considering that a lot of places have gone underground because uh, they don't want to enforce this vaccine passport, but it's uh, harder and harder to find at a public level. You know, it it's so surreal to hear somebody say, just going inside to sit down and eat without being asked for a vaccine passport. That's the abnormal thing these days, as opposed to um, having your medical privacy invaded by your bartender. <laughs> that's the that's the normal legal thing. It's it's funny how quickly things shifted in yeah. uh, 20 or 21 months of two weeks to flatten the curve. I guess I'll ask you. What are your predictions for the future? You're a new Albertan, um, but we're glad to have you. Do you think we're going to reopen faster than everybody else, or are we just going to follow everybody else? It's so hard to tell. I mean, honestly, most of the decisions are made behind closed doors. Like politicians will tell the public one thing. They'll say, hey, you know, we're opening right now because uh, this, that, whatever. And then, hey, now, oh, sorry, we're closing because of Omicron. So, it keeps on changing. I mean, there is a bit of uniformity as we've seen with the latest round of policies, uh, but it really is based on the individual politician in whichever region they're allocated towards. Uh, so it, it is extremely hard to say, but I think as things have gone on, and especially now with this third booster or third vaccine, whatever they want to call it being pushed, more and more people are thinking, okay, wait a second, this isn't about me getting my vaccine. This is about me constantly being up to date with the government is now asking me to do. Oh, one last question before I let you go, because I find it curious because I've lived here my whole life. So this is just normal for me. What is your experience with the people of Alberta? Are we, I guess, what's the right word? Are we ungovernable? Is that our problem? <laughs> we just don't go along to get along? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Well, it's difficult for me because I'm living in the core of Calgary. So I'm not really, I'm still experiencing that downtown kind of liberal tilt. Uh, as I would in Toronto, mm -hmm. uh, but I have noticed, especially in Calgary, it's not the city that Toronto is. Toronto is a city surrounded in other cities. Here, it's a city mm -hmm. surrounded by a town, by a, a large swath of farmland. So it's got that city vibe as well as that uh, country vibe, which I think gives it a little more uh, sturdiness in the face of authoritarianism because people out there in the country, they have a little more of their wits about them. It's true, we do. What a great place to leave this interview. Sid, thanks for your work. Uh, so uh, you've worked so hard this year um, and you've really, I think, come into your own um, as a not just a videographer, but a video journalist. Um, and I think that's evident for our viewers to see. Um, so thank you so much. Um, have a great weekend and have a great Christmas. 
I really appreciate that. You too. And I, I learned from the best here. So it's all thanks to you. <laughs> thanks, Ed. Dr. Teresa Tam and her Snoopy inept Public Health Agency of Canada are moving into Chinese social credit territory with their coming attempts to monitor and track innocent Canadians as we go about our lives. They want to know where you are, when you were there, and who exactly you were with. And they are going to use your cell phone data and location information to do it. And it's all here in black and white. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's in this latest request for proposal posted publicly on the government's contracts and procurement website, buycell.gc.ca. Look at this. The Public Health Agency of Canada requires access to cell tower operator location data that is secure, processed, and timely, in addition to being adequately vetted for security, legal, privacy, and transparency considerations to assist in the response to the COVID-19 pandemic and for other public health applications. Aggregated indicators derived from cell tower operator location data provide insightful information and allow for meaningful analysis on the mobility or movement of populations in Canada. These analyses and findings provide situational awareness and help inform policy, public health messaging, evaluation of public health measures, and other aspects related to public health response, programming, planning, and preparedness. At Rebel News, we get the most thoughtful viewer feedback. You send it, we do our best to read it. Now, on my video about the Public Health Agency of Canada, actively looking for a contractor to spy on your cell phone data, Gary Boats writes, how did public health go from being a near invisible government agency that got the Canada food guide wrong for decades to being the controlling force in Canada? Amen, Gary. Amen. I yearn for the days when the only time we ever heard Dina Hinshaw's name here in Alberta was when she was busy warning us about the increase in syphilis rates after the Calgary Stampede. And she would generally warn us about the increase in rates after the Stampede and not before when it matters. The MZX124 writes, What else would you expect from a government led by a guy who once stated on record that he admires China's style of governing, social credit scores coming? Isn't that what a vaccine passport really is, though, an indicator of your compliance with the government? It's a QR code that says you're one of the governable because it doesn't make you any safer. It doesn't mean you can't contract COVID. It also doesn't mean that you won't spread COVID. It just means that you'll do what you're told in exchange for minor behavioral rewards, like one of Pavlov's dogs, I guess. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to everybody in Toronto who turned the hodgepodge of videos I sent them into a workable show for our beloved viewers to watch. I'm back again in the big chair for David next week as he rests and recuperates and rejuvenates and enjoys his break with his loving family. Now, as David says, and I know I got this wrong last week, <laughs> but without risk, there can be no glory.